Genesis, the fifth chapter. Genesis chapter 5. So excited about this moment we're going to have together. I pray your heart is open. That you're not just here, you know, kind of blindly um, engaged in a religious habit. We're so thrilled and glad you're here, but to get the fullness out of it, your heart's got to be engaged. You know, you can't be thinking about kick off, you can't be thinking about couch time, you can't be thinking about the chores, just, just let all that go, right? Let all that go, and like we sang about at the last there, let's lay aside the lesser, come on, you know, your grass and, and your chore list and, you, you know, your flesh's desire to go put its feet up, there's a time and a place for that, but that's not right now, so if necessary, scoot up to the edge of your seat. And straighten your back because God has something I think that could be just so life changing for you today uh, if you'll grab a hold of it. Um, let's go before the Lord. Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity to gather here. We thank you that we're safe while we're here uh, because the angels are on patrol. Uh, your power has cleaned the air. We just so thank you that no sickness or disease could even come near our dwelling. That God, that you're our refuge and our fortress. You're our high tower. That God, that we're free in you today. And you have something for us that we need. A revelation. uh, Understanding. Uh, So communicate, Father, your heart. And I know that you're, you're doing that through a very imperfect vessel. But this vessel I am, I give to you. I just give myself over to you, Father, to you and to your spirit alone. And I pray that you would cause me to communicate your heart in an accurate way. Uh, Cause me to speak, as it were, the very oracles of God. A word of life. A word filled with anointing. Uh, Father, truth spoken in love. Cause me to speak, as it were, the tongue, uh, as with the tongue of the learned, that I might speak a good word to him who is weary. But God, the people have a vital part too. And so I pray that you'll anoint their heart to receive, their mind to be uh, attentive, their ears to hear and their eyes to see. That God, that they might take hold and not just go, good sermon, I will have failed if that's what happens. But Father, that they leave, they act upon what is said and their lives are forever changed. Lord, we thank you. This is the aim. And by faith, this is what we receive in the name of Jesus. And if you agree with that, what would you say? Amen. 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 Well, we're going to read a longer passage of Scripture than I normally would, and it's a little laborious, okay? It's good, it's God's Word, but it's a genealogy found in uh, Genesis chapter 5. But I think it will uh, adequately uh, provide the launching pad uh, to to make a point that I want to get over to us today. We're all privileged people in this house and on this stream today uh, because I've been led and urged on in my heart to tell you a secret. How many of you know you like to be in on secrets? I am a curious one, you know, and I I like, hmm, you know, I want to know. And I, I, you know, I do not like whispers right beyond my hearing because that just like, ooh, I want to know. What are they saying? And I think there's a little bit of a, uh, a snoop like that in all of us, but uh, but uh, you know when when uh, you see someone and and they're living life on a high level, 
right? And they're walking in maybe measures of success and victory that you want to walk in, but they know something you don't, right? They often know something you don't. And, and I don't know about you and the way you're, you are and the way you think, but I want to know. What is it that you know that I don't know? Tell me the secret so that I can have what you're having and I can experience what you're experiencing. Anybody like that? And so today, I'm not going to just tell you a secret. I'm going to tell you the secret to everything. Would you like to know the secret to everything? We're going to look at the secret to everything. And as I begin to read this genealogy, purpose to follow along with me. And I'll give you a little guidance up front before I begin to read. Um, what the uh, inspired writer, what the Holy Ghost saw fit to record in Genesis chapter 5 is a, is a pattern. And he's going to begin to give us some basic information about the lives that he brings up in this genealogy beginning with Adam. But there's going to come a place in the reading where the pattern will be broken. When the pattern's, pattern's broken and you notice something stated that's different, that's outside the pattern, I want you to stop me. It should be evident to you, okay? And because therein is the secret to everything. All right, so you ready? Amen. Let's begin in verse 1. <clears throat> Genesis 5 verse 1 says, This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day that God created man, in the likeness of God made he him. Male and female created he them, and blessed them and called their name Adam in the day when they were created. And Adam lived, now here we go, the first, the first genealogy and the pattern will be set. Adam lived 130 years. He begat uh, in his own likeness after his image uh, a son uh, called Seth. I'm going to pause here and skip over to the New Living Translation because as I'm reading, the language is a little more modern and it'll be less broken and stumbled over. So, when Adam was 130 years old, he became the father of a son who was just like him. In his very image, he named his son Seth. After the birth of Seth, Adam lived another 800 years. He had other sons and daughters. Adam lived 930 years, and then he died. When Seth was 105 years old, he became the father of Enosh. After the birth of Enosh, Seth lived, Seth lived another 807 years. He had other sons and daughters. Seth lived 912 years, and then he died. You get it? When Enosh was 90 years old, he became the father of Kenan. After the birth of Kenan, Enosh lived another 815 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Enosh lived 905 years, and then he died. When Kenan was 70 years old, he became the father of Mahalel. After the birth of Mahalel, Kenan lived another 840 years. He had other sons and daughters. Kenan lived 910 years, and then he died. When Mahalel was 65 years old, he became the father of Jared. After the birth of Jared, Mahalel lived another 830 years. He had other sons and daughters. Mahalel lived 895 years, and then he died. When Jared was 162 years old, he became the father of Enoch. After the birth of Enoch, Jared lived another 800 years. He had other sons and daughters. Jared lived 962 years, and then he died. When Enoch was 65 years old, he became the father of Methuselah. After the birth of Methuselah, Enoch lived in close fellowship with God. For another 300 years, he had another, other sons and daughters. Enoch lived 365 years, walking in close fellowship with God. Then one day he disappeared because God took him. 
Okay, you got it. Let's read one more. When Methuselah was 187 years old, he became the father of Lamech. After the birth of Lamech, Methuselah lived 782 years. He had other sons and daughters. Methuselah lived 969 years, and then he died. Okay, so you got it. You caught it, right? So notice about the other names. And again, I'm not endeavoring to diminish anyone's life. How many of you know Adam's kind of an important person? <laughs> he, you know, we sprang from him all. You know, all of us did. And so, but uh, in this inspired passage, we are given some information about people's lives. Right? So there are four things given in every one of these except Enoch. Amen? What do we know about these men? Well, we know they lived. We know they were born. What else do we know about them? They had kids. Yeah, they had children. Then we know, the third thing we know about them is they lived some more. And what's the fourth thing we know about them? They died. So here's a, here's a lot of people, they, they were born into the earth, they lived, they had some kids, they lived some more, and they died. And that's the pattern. And in this passage, that's what we know about them. But when you get to Enoch, in those two verses, a statement is inserted about him. The King James says that Enoch walked with God. Enoch walked with God. In the next verse it says, and Enoch walked with God and then he wasn't, for God took him. Amen. So therein we have the secret to everything. You know, just like Enoch, God took Enoch. And God wants to take you and take me places. Places in the Spirit. Places in life. Amen. Notice that in this genealogy, this statement God makes about Enoch separated him from other men. What separated and set apart Enoch from other men? He walked with God. He walked with God. The New Living says he lived in close fellowship with God. And then he wasn't, for God took him. Now, here is how I imagine this to be. Enoch is so enraptured and so passionate and so caught up about pursuing God, walking with God, wanting to know God, that he just got so caught up with that, he stepped over into the glory world and God said, stay if you like. <laughs> because that's the kind of guy God likes to have around. Someone who wants to live in fellowship with God. Someone who wants to know God. Someone who wants to walk with God. Not someone who just wants to live life. It's a sad, sad commentary. It's a sad thing. But to be honest with you, the testimony that will echo through the eons of time for the vast majority of human beings on this planet will be nothing more than what is written about these other men. They were born. They lived a while. They had some kids. They lived some more. Paid some bills. Had a little fun. And then they died. I don't know about you, friend, but I want my life, I want my time here on earth to, to be more 
than being born, propagating, living a little longer, and then dying to be forgotten. Now, everyday life on the planet and certainly having children is one of God's greatest gifts and God's greatest joys is the relationships that we have in um, our children and our grandchildren. I'm not trying to minimize that. Amen? But Enoch, way back there, way back there without a covenant, way back there without a Bible, way back there, you know, without really any insight. Notice, here today, you and I sit as we sang this morning with God Almighty living on the inside of us. But Enoch did not have that. He was not born again. He is the fruit of uh, several generations from Adam. He is uh, dead unto God. He has no covenant with God. He's He's as big a sinner as all the rest of them. But he pursued God to such a degree that again, he just stepped over into heaven's realm and God said, stay if you like. He did all of that by faith. He didn't have an inward presence. He didn't have an an inward urging. He couldn't have an internal conversation with God. Everything he did, he did by faith and in the flesh. And yet, his walk with God eclipses by far the vast majority of believers today. Go over to Hebrews chapter 11. Now, in Hebrews chapter 11, we know that this is the hall of faith. You know, most uh, organizations will have like a hall of fame. You know, I know Major League Baseball has one, the NFL has one, the NBA has one. Uh, In Oklahoma, there's a cowboy hall of fame. You know what I mean? You had to be a cowboy's cowboy to, to get into the hall of fame. And so this is the hall you want to be in, though. Amen. In Hebrews chapter 11. And I know most of you have read this chapter before, but uh, if you think about what is said about most of the men and women, it, it talks about the exploits that they did with their faith, the covenants they walked in. Uh, the, the miracles they performed, the feats they achieved, the accomplishments in advancing the plan of God, the appropriating of God's promises. None of that is said about Enoch. And yet he's in here. He's in here. Let's look and see what it says about him. Hebrews 11 verse 5, I'll read it from the message translation. It says, by an act of faith, Enoch skipped death. Come on. By an act of faith, Enoch skipped death completely. They looked all over and couldn't find him because God had taken him. We know on the basis of reliable testimony that before he was taken, he pleased God. He pleased God. Enoch got what others never did because he walked with God. What is the secret to everything? The secret to everything is walking with God. What do I mean by that? Well, I mean you have and enjoy a a relationship that you have cultivated yourself with God Almighty, with the Lord Jesus Christ, and with His Holy Spirit. Amen. You see, now not to make myself anything, but if there's any fruit, and I have, I'm, I'm not going to be falsely humble, 
There's food in my life. To a measure, to a degree. Not what I want, not what I will have. But there's fruit in my life. Uh, I could point to things my faith in God has produced. Right. Amen. Uh, the, the, you know, whether it's my family, my ministry, what, whatever, there is some fruit there. And, you know, uh, people, if they have occasion, could ask or have asked, you know, about that. And, and most of the time, questions I get are, tell me the steps, Pastor. What are the steps? Give me seven steps to a great marriage. Uh, what button do I push? What lever do I pull to make prosperity come out of God's heavenly vending machine? What are the principles? What are the laws that I must put to work? You know, again, what lever, what order do I, do I push this button and pull that lever and then back to that button? What is the combination that would make my healing come out? And listen, know this child of God. There are laws. There are steps. There are principles that God laid out in His Word. But if you don't know the secret to everything, it is the secret that makes all of the principles work right. And without this secret being in place, none of it will work right. You just be one frustrated Christian. Amen then you're not going to live this Christian life the way God has intended it to live. If there's anything good I could point to in my life, I want to tell you that it all flows out of the fountain of fellowship. My faith, my faith is not in a law. My faith is not only just in a benign written promise. My faith is born out of fellowship with the one I'm trusting in. And this is the missing ingredient in the vast majority of Christians' lives today. They want to work a law, but they don't know the lawgiver. They want out of God's hand what He has to give, but they don't care enough. They're not interested enough in knowing the one who's healing, the one who's paying the bills, the one who's protecting their children, the one who's redeemed their soul. If you're not interested, passionately interested, in getting to know Him, then you are missing the secret to everything. What is faith? Faith is not a bunch of confessions. Although faith involves confession. Faith is not just simply a matter of believing in your heart and saying with your mouth. When you want to boil and break down faith to its purest and most fundamental form, you know what faith is? Trust. That's what faith is. Trust. Now, uh, where does trust, I'm not talking about in your relationship with God, but where does trust, where is that born from? Where does it come from? Relationship. Trust is born out of knowing a person. See, I have walked with this lady since 1993. I've lived with her for 23 years. Amen. And I trust her 
in a way you couldn't. And that trust is born out of my fellowship with her. It's not hard. I don't walk around my living room going, I trust her, I trust her, I trust her, I trust her, I trust her. Oh, I trust her, I trust her. Right? Amen. To know her is to trust her. Not all, not, not all people are like that. The more you get to know them, the least you trust them. The more tightly you hold onto your wallet. That's the testimony of a lot of people. The more you get to know them, the more behind the scenes, the more you really walk with them. You're like, hey, I'm going to leave my wallet in the car. I'm going to be taking everything they say with like a sack of salt, not a grain of salt. But it's really sad. It's really sad. Because people want so much something out of God. They want something from God, but they do not care about knowing Him. Now, I'm sure you've had this experience where a person approaches you or gets around you and they're angling. They're working you. They're not genuinely interested in you. They want something from you. They want your favor. They want your money. They want your approval. They, they want your influence. They want your endorsement. And they're working you. How does that feel? When that ha- Do you like that? How do you think God feels when people with no care about a relationship, they own, when, when, when His own created child turns their eye toward Him, it's only with the thought, what button do I have to push to get my healing from the Father? Then when I get it, I can go on about my merry way and leave Him out of everything. Faith is a walk with God. You think about your faith heroes. Think about your faith heroes, whether it's for me, Kenneth E. Hagin or uh, Smith Wigglesworth or Dr. Dufresne, Pastor Nancy, Dr. Michael Jacobs, uh, Charles Capps, these others. What's talked about? What's thought about? Well, it, the miracles, uh, the largeness of ministry, the, the, the amount, the following, uh, the influence in the world, right? Their faith, uh, whatever it is. But what is largely ignored to the great detriment of everyone observing is the relationship they had with God, the fellowship they had with God. And that's the secret to it all. Amen. Amen. This is why in my life my faith may work more quickly, more accurately than some others is because as I live my life day by day in a relationship with God, when I get out of line, I'm in a living, constant relationship, and He will say, what was that all about? Or I'll get to my fellowship you know, the next morning thinking, I'm, I'm, I've had a great day yesterday, and He's like, well, we need to talk about yesterday. Or, you know, I'm, I'm bringing him in on everything I'm doing. I'm talking to him about my kids. I'm talking to him about my marriage. I'm talking to him about you. I'm talking to him about my ministry. I'm talking to him about my finances. I'm talking to him about my health. 
And he's got something to say Amen. about all of it. And so my, I don't get to the place where my, I'm all tangled up. I'm so confused. I have no idea what to do. I am so lost. I have no idea uh, why my faith isn't working. I'm confessing the Scripture. I gave an offering. But see, in my fellowship with God, He's tweaking me all the time. And it's those little adjustments about attitudes and conduct and standards and words that is a daily flow in my life that as I'm responding to Him saying, yes, sir, I'm going to change that. Yes, sir, I appreciate you pointing that out. Yes, sir, I'll, I'll, I'll focus on that more. Well, then the, see, out of relationship, there is an accuracy, there is a precision that when you go to work the law of faith, it will work when it won't for others because they don't know God. They don't have a relationship with God. They have neglected fellowship. They just want the goodies. They don't want the being. They don't want the person. Now I want you to be gut level, gut level check honest with yourself. Who are you closest to? Husband, if you said your wife, you're out of order. Wife, if you said your husband, you are out of order. Little gal, guys, whatever. If you said your dog or your jaw or whatever you put before God, if you are not, if God is not the one you are the closest to, you're missing it. There is no one I'm closer to. Before I have fellowship with my wife, every morning I'm having fellowship with God. Amen. You see, knowing God is your highest purpose and your greatest privilege. I'm going to say that again. Knowing God personally and intimately is your greatest purpose and your highest privilege. Now, is your life purpose the way you see it, the way you've been living, to know God? Or is He just some sort of peripheral part of your life? Like a boss at work. Is He someone that you just turn to if it gets that bad. How much of your affection does God have today? See, see, people who can live in persistent compromise and sin, they're telling me they don't care much about having fellowship with God because that sin breaks and hinders fellowship. And if God was the most important person in their life, they would be happy to deal with the sin so they could have their highest purpose, which is unfettered, unhindered fellowship with God. But when you know that there's something between you and God and you don't do anything about it because you have higher priorities like that person, this relationship, going after money, going after things, going after fame... And you can see all of the things that the world is out there going for. They're lusting for power. They're lusting for fame. They want money. They want earthly accolades. And they are all substituting brass for gold. They are all missing the mark. 
And Christians, uh, they have just done, instead of maybe chasing these sinful things, maybe they're not, but instead, we're chasing after ministry. I know a lot of people, and they're just chasing after ministry. They're not chasing after God. That's why their ministries don't go anywhere. Some people's calling has become their idol. What we do for God, my friend Dr. Hedabaugh said recently, should never take the place of our purpose in knowing Him and fellowshipping with Him. Are you with me? And this is what people don't, this is what people don't get. People are focused on systems, formulas, and a dry set of impersonal buttons and levers. And God don't play that. That's not why He made you, sweetie. He didn't make you so that you could be, He could be God to you. He made you so He could know you and so that you could know Him. That's why you were made. You know, if you look up the word purpose in the dictionary, the Webster's 1828 dictionary says of the word purpose that purpose speaks to original intent. Original intent or design. What was God's original intent in making Adam and Eve? You can read it in Genesis chapter 3. God showed up in the garden. Why? To walk with them. To talk with them. To have fellowship with them. That's why we were created. I was not created to be a pastor. My highest purpose is not to be a husband or to be a father. Those are precious things in my life. But those are roles I play. People confuse their role and their purpose. And that's why the vast majority of human beings out there are so unfulfilled. Mm -hmm. There is nothing out there and there is no one out there that will give you that sense of fulfillment that your heart longs for until you go back to your original design and intent. Why did God make you? So He could know you. So you could walk together. So you could have fellowship together. So that He could talk to you. Right? Yeah. Amen. And not just about what's going wrong in your life. Right. I asked God, you know, in my times with Him, how are you doing today, sir? Amen. You know, He's got a lot on His plate. Running the universe. <laughs> Amen. Anything I could do to bless you today? Anything I could do to help you today? You know, this is why, and I, listen, don't, don't misunderstand. I know full well, better than you might think, how intense the flesh will fight. Because fellowshipping with God is not like me and Brother Russell fellowship. It's not human fellowship. I can't see Him. So my fellowship with Him is by the Spirit. My fellowship with Him is by faith. My fellowship with Him is through His Word. And the flesh fights all those activities. And it doesn't make you evil. Because my flesh fights me, but when God said... You know, all those years ago now, he said, Son, I want you up at 6 a.m. 
six days a week to spend time with me. And that's what he said. And as I began to practice that, oh, have I had a fight with my flesh over that deal. And, um, but in that, I learned so much. So one of the things that I learned was I sat down pretty quick after that, and I sat down with my coffee and my chair and my Bible, and I picked up Brother Hagin's book, and I got into a couple pages, and I heard him. He said, I told you this was our time. Right. And I was confused. I didn't get it. What do you mean, our time? I'm being spiritual. <laughs> well, this is why I can't be spiritual all the time and actually have fellowship with my wife. I, we have to be together. Right. So reading a Kenneth Hagin book is, book is great, but that's not spending time with God. That's me spending time with Brother Hagin. That's right. And what Brother Hagin thought. And what Brother Hagin wrote. Yeah. You all get something about your devotional life if you'll listen to me. Now, you don't have to pattern your life I'm just telling you what God dealt with me about. Don't get in bondage about 6 a.m., please. If He didn't tell you that, rejoice. <laughs> like I, I said, I was ministering this to the guys at uh, Branson, and, and when I said that about 6 a.m., Dr. Hadabaugh goes, Oh my God, I'm so glad He didn't say that to me. <laughs> but I said, Well, Father, what am I doing wrong? He said, I want you to fellowship with me. And then He added some instruction. He said, in this time, I don't want you praying for your church people. Um, you're not here to pray about your ministry. There's another prayer time you've ordained or should have set aside for that. Amen. This is time for you and I. This is time for me to be your father and you to be my son. Amen. And that's what it's limited to. Amen. And it's been some of the sweetest times when I put my flesh down and I get to the coffee pot and get that coffee and my eyes pop open and I, and I sit down with God. Less than a month ago, I had one of these occurrences where before I even was fully stood up in bed, His presence just overtook me. And I got, and I just sat down in my recliner and it's not always this way. But His voice was so clear and it was just... I was undone. He was just loving on me. The words I said, they were so heartfelt and, and personal. And I just wept. Just, there wasn't no Bible reading that morning. I just sat there and let him say what he wanted to say to me. And then for me to respond, well, I feel the same way, Father. I love you too. And see, this is the secret to everything. The fountain of all your instruction, the knowledge of His plan, what He wants you to do, who He wants you to marry, what steps He wants you to take, should all flow freely out of the fountain of your fellowship with God. Do not approach your Christianity like a chore. You didn't have to come to church this morning. You got to come to church. You don't have to read your Bible. You get to read your Bible. You don't have to pray and talk to God. You get to pray and talk to God. Amen. Go over with me to the book of Revelation. I know what time it is. Are you getting some help this morning? Glory to God. Sometimes we just need to go back now. You know, for me as a pastor and a teacher, I spend much of my time behind this pulpit teaching principles. 
from the Word, right? Teaching the law of faith, how faith works, how faith comes, how to operate in faith. And that, that it's, it's all right. It's all appropriate. Where am I going? Revelation, right? <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just amped up. Hallelujah. Revelation chapter 2. And uh, uh, praise God. What was I saying? Anyway. Yeah, I teach the thank you, Brother Rose. I teach principles and I teach these things. But maybe I haven't communicated enough the foundation of it all. The outflow of it all. The springboard of it all is a personal, one-on-one, very real, intimate relationship with Jesus. Because I know Him the way I do, I'm not afraid of COVID. Because I know Him the way I do, I'm not afraid when my daughter drives out of the driveway in the car. Because I have put my daughter in His capable hands. He's not far off and distant to me. He's not some God way out there on the far expanse of the universe that maybe if I could get His ear for five seconds, I could get Him to... No, He lives in you. He lives in me. And He wants to be uh, not just... uh, He doesn't want to have 30 minutes with you before you go to work and then He's not part of anything else the rest of the day. When I get up, I take Him with me. He's with me as I shave. He's with me as I... Uh, I do my work. He's with me as I counsel people. He's with me as I pray for you. He's with me as I study. He's, he's with me all the time and in everything. And there is nothing. I try, not perfect at it, but I try not to do anything of any significance without having talked to Him first. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. I'm about to read this in Ephesians, but the secret to success in all things is to maintain your personal connection to the Lord. That's, that's the main thing. Look at uh, this in chapter 2, verse uh, 1. Unto the angel of the church at Ephesus, right? These things says he that holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, I know thy works, <clears throat> and I know thy labor, and thy patience, thy perseverance, your endurance how you cannot bear them which are evil, uh, and that you have tried them which say they are apostles, and they are not, and found them liars. So he has bragged on them. It says, he, uh, you have borne and have had patience for my name's sake, and you have labored and have not fainted. And a lot of you are just like that. You have labored for God. You have served in the helps ministry position. You have uh, you know, been discerning of false ministry. You've not gone the way of the seeker-sensitive church. You've Hold fast to your faith. Uh, You have endured some things for God. You do love His name. But notice in verse 4, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against you. What is it? Because you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works. Amen. Being busy for God doesn't make you spiritual. Being busy for God doesn't make you spiritual. Knowing God makes you spiritual. So what what, what is a Christian's 
first work, their first love. What is it? Oh, Jesus, I'm just so glad you forgave me of my sin. And I'm just so, oh my God, it's so awesome. You just come up. Oh, I just feel like a burden is just lifted. I am a new man. Oh, Jesus, I can't wait. I can't wait. I got to cancel my schedule. I got to read your word. I go, oh my God, when does the church door open? Praise God, I'm born again. I'm born again. I'm born. Isn't that how we begin? Isn't that how we start? Do you have any of that left in you? Or are you just working for God? Well, I'm working for God. Well, good for you. He goes on and says, If you don't change this, I will come unto thee quickly and I'll remove thy candlestick. The candlestick is a symbol of the church. He said, You know what? If you miss this, y'all should just shut your church down. Because you're working for me, but you hadn't brought me. Where's your love for me? Where's your passion for me? Where's your heart to know me? Thank God we can recover ourselves. Isn't that right? We can recover ourselves if we just will. Let's, uh, let's close this morning in John 15. Oh, Hallelujah. Now see, when I said, I'm going to tell you the secret to everything, you thought, oh, he's going to tell me what button to push. Finally, <laughs> finally, he's going to tell me what button I need to push. That I could become successful. No. Sorry to disappoint you. The secret to everything is knowing him intimately. See, I can't live how other people live because I know him too well. And when I sin against Him, and I do, it hurts me. It hurts me. I feel bad when a, when a wrong word comes out, when a bad attitude is put on display, when I didn't come through, when I didn't give Him my best. That hurts me. And it's my love for Him that makes me quick to repent. Because if I want to be right with anyone... I have to be right with Him. I have to be right with the one who saw that pathetic kid at that frat party. See, that's my secret to everything. My son asked me a very astute question in mentoring a few sessions ago. He said, Dad, what would you say is the, most, the single most consequential thing you've done or decision you made to get you to where you are today? I think that's how he said that. And I said, son, I, just talking off the cuff, it would have to be what I said to God at drunken suicidal at a frat party when He said, give me your hand. And when I said to Him, no matter what I have to do, no matter where I have to go, no matter what it costs me, no matter who leaves me, I'm going to go all the way with you. That death to myself, that consecration and sellout of my heart and life to my Father is what drives me and motivates me still here today. Really, if you want to study the people that know God best and who are not versed in all the principles, they produce more faith fruit than the person who goes, I know confession and I know this and I know this and I have to do that and I have to do this and I have... 
Those are all biblical. But if you don't know God, this person over here who just gets in God's presence goes, I love you, Father. Oh, I just love it. And God's going to just heal them and deliver them and bless them. Because God found in that woman a woman after God's own heart. A lot of wonderful things you could say about David, right? But what did God say about him? He didn't say he's a real general on the battlefield. He's a real brave guy. He sings really good. No. He said, I found in him a man after my own heart. Hallelujah. John chapter 15, verse 1. For time's sake, I'm going to just switch to the Amplified here. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Any branch, would that include you? Yeah. Any branch in me that does not bear fruit... Or that stops bearing. You know, you could be a fruit bearer and then you stop bearing fruit. You know. What happens? He, the vine dresser, cuts away. He trims off and takes away that branch. And he cleanses and repeatedly prunes every branch that continues to bear fruit to make it bear more fruit. So if you feel like you've borne some fruit in your life, I'm sure you have. What does God want from you? More fruit. You want to know why you should not get mad at me for demanding more fruit out of your life? It's because I have the heart of God the Father in that. Unless you don't even act grateful. I've been serving you for... Great! But your branch looks pretty dry right now. I haven't come along and picked any nice tomatoes off your branch lately. What does God want out of us? Fruit. And after that, what's He want? More fruit. Well, I'm getting old. I'm thinking about slowing down. Where'd you get that from? You got that from the world, didn't you? I don't have a retirement plan. Lord willing, I'm going to be your pastor till I fall over. And then you can bury me. And Rex can take over. <laughs> Amen? Retire. Retire from the world, fine. Retire from a job, fine. Retired from bearing fruit? For God? No, I don't think so. Well, let's get down to the juice here. Verse 4. What Jesus say? He says in the Amplified, dwell in me. Well, I'm busy. Well, well, you're going to have to get that figured out, sweetheart. Dwell in me, and I will dwell in you. Live in me, and I will live in you. Who goes first, Jennifer? I know I put you on the spot. Praise God. See, when I do that, Praise God, everybody perks up like, oh, you may call on me next. <laughs> I'm almost finished. Hang with me. Notice, notice everyone, who goes first? Dwell in me. What did Enoch do? Enoch took it upon himself. 
I'm going to have a walk with God. Bless God. I'm going to know God. All these Methuselah people and all that, they live a long time, but they didn't know God. I'm going to know God. If I do anything, I'm going to know God. I'm going to do more than cut grass. I'm going to do more than pay bills and put food on the table. I'm going to know God. Amen. That's Enoch's heart. Live in me, and God says, I will live in you. Now notice this, just as no branch can bear fruit of itself without abiding in, being vitally united to the vine. The vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in me. I don't want to live a do-nothing life. An inconsequential life. But I can't bear fruit, and neither can you, without a vital, ongoing, living, intimate connection with Jesus. And you're going to, if you are, you're going to have to stop looking to your pastor or to your favorite spiritual guru to get what you need from God. Start talking to Him yourself. Husbands, some husbands lived a lot of miles on the spiritual coattails of their wives, on their prayer life, on their relationship with God. I'm telling you guys, that's got to stop. Men, you should, in the home, you should be setting the pace. Where's dad at? It's time for dinner. Where's he at? Do they ever find you when they look for you at dinner time? Shut up alone with God? In your Bible? In the backyard under a tree? Talking to the Lord? Does that ever happen? Praise God. Verse 5. I am the vine, Jesus said, you're the branches. Whoever lives in me, and I in him, bears much abundant fruit. However, apart from me, cut off from a vital union with me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. Now, I think a lot of times religion and Christian preaching has taught us that all that is required for me to have this union with Jesus is to be saved. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about fellowship. Talk about fellowship. And a lot of Christians are saved and have no fellowship. They have no fellowship with the Father. Those that spend time with God, fellowshipping with Him, they will win when others lose. They may not know the principles of faith, the different kinds of prayer. They may not be able to quote from memory all the Bible verses. But they who know God because they fellowship for Him, they will have their lives forever marked by the supernatural. And their lives will bear fruit that glorifies the Father. The majority of Christians lived their lives as withered branches. They strive, they're working, I see them all the time. They are trying to be a faith person. They are trying to pray and to claim the promises. They are trying to bind and to loose, and it's not working. Why? They don't abide. Not enough investment, not enough passion, not enough 
time invested in a relationship. And that's the secret to everything. Years ago, my last statement here, and then we're going to give an offering. Jesus gave me three R's out of this passage of Scripture, and I'll give them to you, the three R's. He said, son, number one, remain. That's your job. Remain. What's that mean? Remain in Him. Stay in my word. Talk to me all the time. Remain. Remain in my presence. Number two, the second thing, if you'll do that, these are progressive, is receive. Those who remain will receive. How come you don't know what you say you need to know from God about the future, about what to do? You haven't spent enough time in His presence to receive it. If you'll get in His presence and stay there long enough, you will receive. He will make you to know what the right thing is. He will share with you why your healing hasn't shown up yet. Don't ask me. I don't know. I don't live with you every day. God does. Apart from the Holy Ghost giving me a revelation, I am helpless to tell you why your healing hasn't shown up, where your victory is. Now, let me balance that real quick. I don't want you to not come to me. I want to have answers for you. But the answers I'm going to give you are get in His presence. Get in the Word. Spend some extra time in prayer. Well, I work a job. Do you have any personal days? Instead of going to the lake all the time on your personal days, maybe you need to go lock yourself up in a hotel room. How much do you want to be healed? How bad do you want to be victorious? Well, I can't do that. Well, then see, you don't have time enough for victory. So remain will lead to receiving. And then the third R is reproduce. You will be able to live your life and reproduce good and godly things if you'll first remain and receive. But you can't reproduce the fruit of His kingdom and not spend time with Him. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. If it's easy for you to be a sinner, if it's easy for you to to be sexually immoral, if it's easy for you to be a jerk to your family, then you're telling me you don't have very much time with the Father because that would... If I know 6 o'clock, I'm going to sit down with the God of all the universe and I've just acted like a real turkey. You husband, you know, sometimes you're wiping out all day and she asks you to do three things and you're tracking her on your phone she's coming up the road. If you're smart, you're going to get busy. Right? Oh my God. Where's that trash at? Why do you do that? Because you're in a relationship. Amen. Amen. Did you get anything out of that today? Your help lies within. That message, the secret to everything. Praise God. Well, let's shift gears.